0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bring It to the Table podcast by Mojatu Foundation, the podcast series where we aim to educate, inspire, and transform our audience through knowledge and tested experiences. I'm your host, Caroline. Um, today, I'm joined with our guests, and, and I'll let them introduce themselves.
1: Uh, so, my name is Peter. I'm a legal consultant at Mojato
2: Foundation. I'm Saida. I'm Jamie, uh, community journalist for Majatu Derby.
3: I'm Angela, Director of Operations at Majatu.
0: So today in today's episode, we'll be talking about FGM legislation in the UK. As discussed in our previous episodes, uh, we learned that FGM involves the removal and damaging of health and normal female genital tissues, and hence interferes with natural functioning of girls' and women's bodies. Um, we will be talking about our guests' thoughts about this. But before we proceed, we'd like to issue a trigger warning. There's no easy way to talk about FGM. Although there's no attempt to shock you in this episode, you may find that some content are difficult to speak about and may make you feel upset. Look after yourself, and if you need to take a break, please do so. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, there are many reasons why people say um, there's need to legislate against FGM. Some people say because of the harm it causes on girls. But I'd like to hear your thoughts. What do you think FGM should be legislated against and why do you think that is the case? Anyone like to start?
2: (coughs) Yeah,
1: so... uh, FGM is kind of a tricky subject because it touches on uh, people's beliefs and religion and some traditions that believe in the uh, FGM. But uh, since the beginning of uh, the millennium, around 2000, uh, most countries um, go to, to put legislation uh, into place so they can criminalize uh, the act. So there are about 30 countries in Africa alone that practices uh, FGM. And there is a misconception that maybe uh, FGM is only done in Africa, but is also practiced in some parts of Europe, especially uh, Western Europe. So, like, for instance, in the UK, there's a legislation for uh, FGM, which is the FGM, I think, Act of 2003, and then it was amended in 2015, but came into effect in uh, 2016. So basically, in the UK and most African countries, the 30 countries that we talked about, and the European countries, uh, there are now registrations that if you do FGM, or you you found to be doing it or helping, abating and aiding, you are criminal criminally responsible for that. You can actually be arrested, be charged and, you know, sent to jail. But like I said, this is sort of a practice that borders on uh, religion and traditions. And, you know, uh, so people tend to do it because it's what they believe their religion promotes them to do, but it's a criminal act. And people can go to jail. So that's, 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 that's in a nutshell, that is a crime. And on top of that, the UN has put in place charters for, for Africa on human rights, where it, it also promotes to end this act by 2030, I think. But it's still the problems are still there, as I am saying, because it's mostly done by families. So if a dad or mother decides we're going to do FGM on our child, then it becomes a problem for the outside to come and uh, get in. But all these uh, UN uh, are coming in because apart from being a crime itself, it's, it's a major human rights issue. So the question that comes up is do these young ladies have a choice in doing what happens to them? Or somebody has to decide on their behalf. So it's a it's a very tricky kind of a situation looking at that. At that age, 15, 14, these children are under guidance the guidance of their parents and they are a responsibility to them they can't make independent decisions so yeah
0: speaking of choice um what does everybody else think about that aspect of children not having the agency to speak up and people making decisions for them and um (laughs) subjecting them to this practice even sometimes when they they don't even know and they're not aware
3: of it. What what are your thoughts about that? For me, I think it's something that's very um, difficult because, well, people say that there are children, unless you're 18, that you cannot be able to make your own decisions. But I know, I think in some parts of the West, whereby a child, I think if they're above 10 or 8 or thereabout, they can sign this piece of paper and say that they can be able to do or make decisions about themselves. So they would sort of detach themselves from the parents um, in terms of any decisions, legal whatsoever, to be able to make those decisions. But then that has always been deemed as a Western culture. But then in Africa, you cannot go and tell your parent, I'm not going to do this. If you're less than 18 years old because they're going to come and ask you who are you to tell me these things i'm your parent i brought you to this one yes you did but there are such things that you cannot go and say so kids would sort of just go ahead with it because the parent has said and because it has been said by two three four other people so if you refuse a first instance then your parents will call all the elders all the aunts, uncles, second cousins, and bring them to the table or bring them um, to your house and tell you how it's important to do that so you're left without a choice and you have to go through it.
0: Thank you. Does anybody else have uh, some thoughts or some opinion about that?
2: Um, I guess broadly speaking as well, um, for children a lot of what you learn, you know, the way you see the world is shaped by parents just generally anyway. Um, so I think, you know, when you're of a certain age, um, and for a lot, of, a lot of that early period of your life, if your parents says something is one way, um, you might not, you know, be inclined to question that. Uh, and if it's something that's taught to you repeatedly, um, then, yeah, it it's, might be something you just accept as a given, um, and it may be only in later life, um, you might realise actually, I should have started up for myself there. But you know, being so young, it, it can be difficult.
1: Yeah, so maybe just to chip on what Angela said, and Jamie said, um, yes, when you're a child, you don't have that, uh, you know, opportunity to say what you want. I heard Angela's uh, referring to other countries, where A a child can say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But then let's look on the flip side. If a child wants or a woman wants to do it, so the law comes in that whether it's your choice or not, there's no choice in in FGM. The law considers it as uh, illegal. So you can't say, oh, I'm old enough. I'm going to do it. It's, it's, it's banned. It's banned. You can't do it. The reason being the law looks at situations where if they allow that part, giving people power to decide when to do a criminal act, that then it will be total chaos. So I think it draws a line. If it's illegal, it's illegal. So you can imagine like about 4 million young girls going through it. And then there's a lot of the after effects that later on in life, these women uh, go through. So in terms of childbirth and all those complications, because mostly the FGMs are done by locally traditional or people that are not professionally or medically trained. So it'd be like, for, for instance, in Africa, it would be people from the village just arrange the way they know how to do it, but they don't do it in a safer way. So maybe if it's, it's, it's a form of female circumcision. So maybe there there could be some instances where it is medical necessary to do it. And if it's backed by that necessity, that it's, to do with the health of someone then it can be done and you know in a legal way but FGM whether one wants it whether one do- don't want it it's a criminal offence.
0: Thank You You've You've alluded to uh, situations where um, medical practitioners are legally allowed to perform surgeries on people please tell us um, what are the Acts of FGM that can be classified as illegal in the UK?
1: Yeah, so technically in, in the UK, according to the law under, uh, you know, gen, uh, actually the, the the act itself is called Female Genital Mutilation Act of 2003, which I said earlier, uh, you know, it was amended in 2015 and came into effect in 2015. 20- 16. So, anything to do with removing uh, any part of the critoris or the inner labia, sometimes referred to as the lips, and anything without the private part, um, it's a crime. So, that is also mean to, you know, If you do any other acts that are not from, you know, you doing that without that medical, uh, uh, you know, uh, need, then anything outside is for other reasons, um, then it uh, it becomes uh, illegal because I think FGM, like I said earlier on, is based on traditions. So people believe if a woman has this, then certain things will go this way. And certain, if he doesn't do it, certain things maybe, you know, people prefer certain things. So it's more of a tradition and religion and some beliefs. But there's no medical or scientific proof that... FGM helps anyone in any way.
0: Can um, taking uh, a child, maybe for example, who's a UK citizen or UK resident out of the UK be classified as an illegal act of FGM?
1: Yes. So the law extends under that act, both in Wales, Scotland and England. As long as the child is from here, it doesn't matter where you do the act it will still be a criminal act. So there will be, there are legal corroborations in any, most countries right now, it's a a, a crime. So they will just corroborate if, for example, where these are rampant should be Somalia, where these acts of um, uh, FGM are rampant, and then they work with those countries to make sure they stop it because there have been cases where people who live here, but maybe come from certain countries, they say, okay, because you can't do it in Africa, in, in, in the UK, I'm going to take my child, go back to Africa and do it. Then no one will know they'll come back normal, but then they realize that's what people do. So if they find out, then it becomes an issue. Uh, but the, 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 there's a problem really with this because, like I said, it's belief, religion, traditions. So people don't actually want to talk about it because mostly, uh, if you you are literally reporting your parents, if you if you know what I'm saying, you you are reporting your parents to have done a criminal act on you. And then you, you're still young, then you are in this quagmire, you, you are in this situation, then what happens to me? You know, if your parents are got to go to jail. So it's, people don't want to talk about it. They, mostly people come and talk about it when they are grown. Now they, they are independent. Now they start saying, oh, this is bad. It happened to me. but. At that age, 15, 16, not many people would come out and say, oh, my parents or my uncle, my aunt did this to me. And then they can pick up a case. I think there was only one case in 2014 in London that uh, went into court. But I think there was lack of evidence or something like that, but uh, it didn't fall through. But still they they are trying so hard to make sure that uh, um, every city is is, is, is is doing uh, everything to make sure that this practice is, is, is to stop. So I think Nottingham is one of those cities that declared, if I'm not wrong, but yeah I remember 2016 became the first seat in the UK to go on zero tolerance on F- FGM. And then I think it's Mojato leading it, I think it's online. Yeah. So Mojato led that for Nottingham to be the first ever seat in the UK to declare zero tolerance on um, FGM. Also leads has taken that direction, they have formed an uh, organisation, I think, where they are mobilising people to sensitising them against the Act. Recently, I think about two three years ago, Leicester also did the same.
0: Um, speaking about the challenges in prosecution of FGM cases, uh, what do you think, uh, and I pose this question to all of you, is the main challenges that people face in prosecuting such cases?
2: I mean, one thing with uh, prosecution is evidence. And I suppose this is something, you know, it can be proven, but from a victim's perspective, I suppose the evidence is going to be actually showing that harm has been done to their body, and that's not an easy thing to come forward about. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that would probably be the first thing that comes to mind for me, the fact that it t- it's going to take a lot of bravery from the victim to not just say, this has happened to me, but then to have to prove that it's happened to them as well.
3: Um, The other bit would be possibly um, the cultural perspective on it because I remember, I think it was here in in the UK some time back whereby I think a lady was prosecuted um, and I think went to jail, prison. Um, I'm not quite sure where people go. Um, And there was a lot of, um, backlash from that lady going to prison because of where she came from. I'm, I'm not sure where she, she's from or was from because then um, ladies or women like that are held in very much high regard um, culturally. So if, for example, that lady, I'm not saying it's is this from Kenya, then um, in that particular community, that lady would be seen as a sellout so to say, and also more people would sort of much more concentrate on that area that the lady is from, saying that now we need to sort of make sure that there are legislations on that particular area in Kenya that the lady is from, and see what what else can be done. Are there other things, are there other women who are doing the same exact thing? What are the um, things that are being said by the victims, children, ladies, women, you know, what what, what is there uh, that that can be done. So I think that's that's one aspect of it. And I do agree with Jamie on what he said about the perspective of the victim themselves because it is such a horrible thing that you have to go through it. But then if it goes to court, then there are things that you have to say even if you don't want to, to make sure that your case moves forward. So it is is very... um, and it's, it's such a tricky situation in that particular perspective. Any further thoughts?
0: But one thing I actually appreciate about the UK law is um, the provision on their female gender mutilation protection orders. I think it's mentioned under the Serious Crimes Act yeah. of 2015. Yeah. And people can report to the police uh, immediately. And I um, actually appreciate the the new uh, development of the intelligence safeguarding solution that uses um, intelligence automation to ensure that the protection orders reach the local police immediately. Unlike previously where people would have to wait for days or even weeks before those um, FGO, FGM um, protection orders could um, reach, reach the police officers from the court if issued. So I, I really applaud the U, UK for, for doing that because that assists the victims to receive um, support or to be rescued before that act is is done. Um, I'd like to, uh, uh, I, I recently I had a discussion with some of my colleagues um, at, uh, and they were saying they gave, they just gave because I I love to do the research of FGM. They posed this question to me, and I'd like to pose the same thing to you. They gave me a scenario where a person has taken a child from a UK national child or a resident, and this person is not a UK citizen or a resident, and they've just come to visit, but they take that child out of the UK to another country where FGM is not illegal. So. In that situation, do you think the country where that person goes back to, has an obligation to extradite them back to the UK to be prosecuted if the country itself does not prohibit FGM in their own country?
3: Uh, Well, I would think so because the act has been done on a UK national. So I think that there should be laws whereby the Number one, the person who has taken the kid out um, is done because the number one, first and foremost, is they have been to the UK. So once you come to the UK, you should sort of abide to the laws of the UK in whatever circumstance you're here as. So taking the kid away and then going to another country to do it, even though it's legal in, in that country, um, I don't think it uh, says much about it because then you took the child out of a country where it was illegal and taken to a country that is legal so that doesn't change the circumstance. i don't know what the others think about that
1: uh maybe just to chip in before uh, someone comes in uh first and foremost is uh <coughs> fgm is an international internet is internationally recognized as a violation of human rights. And that is why uh, the World Health Organization, uh, United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, and UNFPA, they are all ganged up to, you know, try and make sure that on an international level, this practice is uh, abolished. So the United um, Nations Human Rights (laughs) Treaty is in place and they have encompassed all these. But in terms of the law, there's a conflict because this is um, a crime, like I said earlier on, that is to do with uh, religion. And then you find that the law also gives people the right to practice their traditions. And so it becomes like the law, on one side, is prohibiting, on the other, is allowing. So you can't stay, you can't pick and choose in people's traditions to say, you can do this, you can do this, but you can't do that, you can't do that. So this is where the problem comes in mostly. And this, like I said, is on religion as well. The law guarantees the freedom of worship, freedom to hold beliefs. So at the same time, the people are holding their beliefs and they believe FGM is good. And then on the other hand, the law, the same law, believes FGM is bad. So to you know, strike a balance is sort of, you know, yeah. So it's bittersweet in the sense that people are allowed to do these things and at the same time they are prohibited to do that. But I think the critical issues is what GME raised. For a child, everyone grows up within that family and that's the family or the environment they live in, their society, shapes them. So, for example, if I was born in Belgium, I'll be a totally different person because then my environment, my thinking will be where I was born and grew up. So, yeah, so it's kind of tricky. But, well, with the organizations like Mojatu and others, trying to push. I think what's really needed is just people to understand that uh, it's a violation of human rights. Let people, if they want to do it, do do them by making informed choices. Because no matter how countries will put registration, laws in place, and like Jamie, of course, said, going to court won't you do anything if there'll be no evidence. People will not come along to give evidence to say, oh yeah, I know this happened. The the judges will just dismiss it because then the people that will be complaining will be maybe organizations that, you know, uh, propagate for stopping of this. So when they go there, the family on the other side will gang up and say, no, this didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. So yeah.
0: Um, just to pick up from what you said, Peter, um, the basis of the law is to prohibit FGM because it causes harm in yeah. women and because it's a violation of their human rights. Yeah, exactly. Some people argue that if harm is your contention, then how about we medicalize it? How about we go to the hospitals and let that be sorted out that help that help that risk be minimized? Yeah. What is everybody's thoughts about that?
3: Uh, it's 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 very tricky because uh, as Mojatu we've been uh, fighting against FGM and we've seen the impacts that it has had on our service users, um, on on the girls and women who have undergone it. So uh, it the question possibly that I would pose to The people who would like to have medicalized FGM is that based on free will or are you being forced to do it? But then you doing it is based on you having it done the right way, or yes, you're being forced to do it, but then the people are, in a way, considerate in quotes and want you want it to be done. In a in a hospital, so th- those those are the other the two things is it based on free will, or is it just based on, or we need better equipment or things like that.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's almost a similar debate to kind of like the legalization of like dangerous drugs and things like that, um, where it, <clears throat> it's like, can we facilitate that for people and try and make it safer? But I think. Um, you know, with Nottingham adopting a zero tolerance approach, I think that's probably a better route to stick with. Because um, I mean, I don't really know the specifics of the science behind it, but it's almost like we know that this causes kind of big issues, and there's almost a sense of you know, if it if there was a way of doing it that was less harmful, maybe that would already be being done. It's hard to say. Mm. I think. And then there's the, perhaps the flip side of that is, would people consider this medicalized FGM to be, uh, you know, the people who are practising FGM, would they actually go with that anyway, or would they think that's not the way we do it, so we're not gonna go with that? Uh, so I think it's it's an interesting debate, but I don't think it's the solution.
4: No, but I agree with Jamie as well. I don't think FGM, has a safer route of doing it because it does harm a lot of women. I know with the hospital doing it, it wouldn't, like, change any harm for them in their future. Like, it brings them a lot of health issues after. So I wouldn't... Me, personally, I wouldn't agree with the hospital that will make it safer for them because it wouldn't.
1: Yeah, but uh, in general, I think it's... It's illegal, it's illegal. So no hospital, nobody will do it. But still more, thing is it, it's a hidden, <clears throat> it's a hidden act. People do it like you know, away from things. So in here are st- shocking statistics, despite that there is to fighting, putting zero tolerance all these cities, all governments trying to corroborate and end it. People are still doing it. So it's shocking because, uh, but it's like, I'm saying people hide. So the exact number of how many people have done it in the UK is unknown. But in 2015, a research was, uh, done based on uh, a census. And it revealed that in that at that time, approximately sixty thousand girls, yeah, aged between zero to fourteen, who were born were born in England and Wales to mothers who had who has had gone through FGM. So imagine sixty thousand, and this is uh, it affects people mentally, psychologically, you know, and these these are kind of issues that people just bottle it in. You won't go to someone and just discuss like a lady, you go, oh, so me, I had a a FGM. They say, so what, so what do you want me to do? Mm. If they, maybe they don't understand the science behind it, why it should be done. What's, what is the reason behind it? Yeah. So like I I said, so far, there is nothing scientific or medically uh, important that is attached to FGM other than being a harmful act. Yeah, and then uh, about 103,000 women aged between 15 and 49 and 24,000 women aged over 50 who have migrated to this country yeah they are living with consequences so now you see the hospitals that have got nothing to do with fgm they have to come in and deal with the complications now so people do fgms in africa in asia or wherever it is and then they migrate and then the consequences the nhs has to bear with it and all that because they can't ignore it it becomes you know issues so it's it's quite tricky They i think the the best way as jamie said is that root of zero tolerance. So everyone understand that this is a vile act. And maybe if people have that mentality, change of, you know, mindset, then it will be fine because it's, these are mediocre old age beliefs that, oh, if you're gonna, uh, get FGM, maybe you, if you get married, your marriage, Will, will last long for example I, I don't know i don't know the science behind it but i'm just speculating to say maybe those are some of the things that all oh, we prepare our girls so that they become more marriage material you understand but yeah
0: all right thank you so much peter for that we're coming to the end of our podcast and before we close um do anybody else have any final thoughts they'd like to share
4: With me, um, I think FGM needs more education and that's why it still goes on because a lot of people people don't have um, the background, they don't understand um, the health issues. So um, education and awareness is very important and that's how I think we should um, move forward to um, different countries in England as well to educate people and hopefully one day You know, it will stop.
3: I would second what Saida has said. It's really important that um, communities, professionals, um, all understand what FGM is because some people usually don't and have no clue um, what it is. So until people are educated about it um, is when we're able to learn and understand what people are going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to have even more and more professionals um, educated a bit more um, about the um, impacts of FGM, and to be able to under- understand psychologically, emotionally, physically what, what what that person is is ailing from. Because some people, you go to the GP um, or the doctors, and you tell them, "I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I'm feeling the other." Then, because that person really does not know what that impact has is you know it's not like something like malaria or something like that that you can say oh yeah I, I know how that feels i'm really sorry for you not many professionals do have that i wouldn't say experience but knowledge of saying i know what you've been through it's very very minimal and you get that from the community level rather than the professional level so I think it's 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 high time the professionals, in the, in the NHS in the GP surgeries, have people who are more and more informed about FGM.
2: And I think with that increased education and dissemination of information, um, people I think, because most re- major religions practice compassion, and I think that that's at the core of what people do. So I think if People who are practicing this for religious reasons are aware of the impact that it has. Then um, that can still line it with their beliefs. Sorry,
4: Jamie, to cut you off. Mm. Is literally is about culture. It's not even religion because yeah. if it's not in the Bible, it's not in the Quran. It's not in any type of religion. It's more deep, deep mm. of like this. I don't know how to say, it, but it's very the culture is. That's why most of them do it. And it's just been running through generation, generation. So they're used to it. So that's why I said um, education, because they prove a lot of other countries that people have gone and educate these people because that's how they live. That's their living. Mm. So they're they're doing it as like us going to work. So if they're educated, they intend to stop, especially if you go there and offer them some other jobs, in you know, <clears throat> create whatever farming or whatever job are there for them to do, they do stop, but they just need that education, like to tell them what is is what what is FGM and to show them proof. Most of them, they've been taught that is the religion, but it's not. Mm-hmm. But if you actually show them in the, any of the Bibles or the books, they actually do stop. Yeah. Yeah, so... Sorry
2: to cut you off, We're no, I agree. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think, you know, as long as you're evidencing to people, yeah. it's wrong, it has this bad impact. Yeah. Yeah, I think people will be willing to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I just think uh, <clears throat> with education in place, which is the most critical and crucial thing for this to come to an end, if people are coming from a place where they are knowledgeable. They understand the you know the implications and the complications out of it now I think it, they, on the legal side there's need to bring in deliberate laws that will specifically address the issue so for instance if you look at acts of terrorism they have put in place things outside any other crimes so if you do For example, you commit uh, a crime related to terrorism. It's different, like, the way you can create another crime. So, for example, you can't just get a bail. that 24-hour thing that you can get within that time, straight away they can keep you as, as much as they want. So if maybe they strengthen and toughen up, some of the rules and laws to make sure that people see that it's serious. If you do this, you get done for it. Not be like just those normal, uh, cases, theft, pickpocketing and stuff. You go there, they arrest you in the morning. Tomorrow you are out and it gives people like, oh, I cannot do it. And I'm going to come out. So they should have to put in place deliberate laws that will specifically target you know those perpetrators and toughen it make sure they they see that it's no child play it's not something that they can just do and you know because here we're talking about lifelong uh complications on you on, on this lady or this young woman It's gonna live with that the 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 rest of their life and some sometimes they Uh, the, you know, the complications that came will come later, but they will be fatal. And, you know, so we should protect more and more.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. And I'd like to thank you again for honoring our invite to come into our podcast today. And thank you for our listeners. And I would urge you to um, uh, be... To I'd urge you to be aware of the FGM cases, and in case um, you come across any case of FGM, remember there's a mandatory um, reporting duty under the law, and you can use emergency number one zero one to report. Um, if you've enjoyed this. Um, Podcast uh, and you'd like to access to listen to it again, please uh find us on find it on our organization website at www.mojatufoundation.org And you if you'd like to access any more information about Mojatu Foundation, please also go to our, our website at ww.esuisu.com stroke mojatu. Please follow us on Facebook at Mojatu Foundation, on Twitter at Mojartu F and on Instagram at mojatu foundation. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Stay tuned for the next one.